Hi, my name is Gary Myers. And I'm Joe Fontenot. And we're the hosts of the Answering the Call podcast. And this is the podcast where we talk to people who are answering God's call. This is the second part of our two-parter with Bob Stewart, the director of the Defend Conference. Here, Bob walks through the top 10 apologetics mistakes that he sees people making. And so, here's Bob. So here we are in our part two of our um, interview here uh, with Dr. Bob Stewart. And in part one, if you haven't listened to it, you can go back and listen to it. We talk about sort of apologetics from the meta perspective. We talk about some bigger issues. We kind of go into some history. Um, uh, Dr. Stewart talks about kind of why he got into apologetics. But this time, we're going to look at um, what we're calling 10 Stupid Apologist Tricks. And so these are essentially 10 kind of really bad ideas or bad things that you see. That's correct. All right, well, why don't you get us started? What's number one? Well, there are two types of uh, stupid apologist tricks or obstacles to effective apologetics. And uh, the first type is personal. Hmm. They have to do with the individual apologist and his character and his values and his affections. And then the second type are procedural. And the personal are more serious than the procedural, because personal flaws go to the center of who you are. Mm-hmm. Like a character even thing. Even if you have the right um, practices in your vocation, uh, it can still be undone mm-hmm. by uh, by personal weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And and obviously, we could talk all day about the number of gifted, gifted ministers who have fallen. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, uh, what I'm going to say for most of this time here is true for any minister. It doesn't have to be apologetics ministry. It could be, it could be pastoral ministry. It could be uh, the ministry of being a professor. It could be the ministry of being a parent. And, uh, and so uh, it really is true for, for anyone. Um, Ken Hempel, uh, when I was a student at, uh, at Southwestern Seminary, when I was a doctoral student, uh, he shared this uh, illustration uh, one time that I think captures it well. He pastored in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and he had NASCAR people in his church, and, sure. and so uh, and he named uh, drivers and and the crowd who knew NASCAR went ooh and yeah. ah, and, and I, I thought who were they? Right. But um, <laughs> he talked about this experience that he had of going out to the garage. Mm-hmm. The week of a of a NASCAR race, mm-hmm. and they're they're doing their time trials and so forth. And he said he was surprised to see that every single day they took apart the engine entirely and then they put it back together. Wow, I didn't know that. And he said, "Why? Why do you do that?" <laughs> and and they said, "We put it back, take it apart to inspect it for flaws, for the tiniest crack." under the pressures we're going to put them under, mm-hmm. can be fatal. Wow. And, and that's, that's the same way it is with our, our character. And so generally, uh, these personal obstacles, mm-hmm. uh, if you get the big things right, mm-hmm. the little things will fall in place. And, and I find that personal obstacles have to do with misplaced affections. Mm. And so uh, 
uh, first off, is having the wrong foundation mm-hmm. for apologetic ministry. Uh, apologists love to go uh, to 1 Peter 3.15. Mm-hmm. And, and, and claim that sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready uh, to make a defense or to give a reason uh, to anyone who asks for the hope that you have within. Mm-hmm. And we tend to focus on always be ready to give a reason, but that is not the core of the verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, the verb is sanctify Christ mm-hmm. as Lord in your hearts. And if you are having, if you do have Christ as Lord of your life, if you have sanctified Him or are in the process of sanctifying Him, and sanctification is a process as Lord, then you will mm-hmm. defend your faith. Mm-hmm. You will defend your love and devotion to Him, just so, just like a husband would defend his wife's honor or, or his right. children. So this is a holiness issue. Absolutely. Above all. Yeah. And, uh, and it's a devotional issue. And so the degree to which you are uh, effective in evangelism mm-hmm. or missions or apologetics in ministry in general will in large part be determined by the degree to mm-hmm. which you have sanctified Christ as Lord in your heart and the degree to which you've submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I think a lot of people pass that over because they feel that like, yeah, 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 I've done all that, but what do I say? Mm-hmm. And the what do I say tends to get a lot of airtime. Right. Well, number one, it's easy, you know what I mean? It's sort of an objective thing, or you can mm-hmm. just write it down and pass it on kind of thing. But that's that's very interesting first point that you bring up. Right. Well, apologetics is part of discipleship and missions mm-hmm. and so forth. And what we're trying to do in ministry is build people, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. build numbers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that yeah, having the right foundation uh, is the first trick, uh, first thing. So the first stupid trick would be <laughs> to have the wrong right. foundation. The second uh, stupid apologist trick would be loving apologetics more than you love Jesus. Now, how is this different than holiness? Well, it it would be uh, it would be the difference between choosing a bad thing over a good thing and choosing a good thing over the best thing. Mm. And so, it is possible to love apologetics, mm-hmm. which is commending and defending the faith. Mm-hmm. Which is a good thing to do. In fact, we're told to do it. We're mm-hmm. commanded uh, to do this. <clears throat> but it's possible to love the good thing more than the best thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, frequently, I see this actually play out in the lives of people. I've seen it play out in my own life at mm-hmm. times. And so, if you're more in love with apologetics than you are with Jesus, something's wrong mm-hmm. in your life. But it's it's a very subtle thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't abandon Jesus. We don't we don't lose our faith. We don't consciously say, "I'm placing Jesus below apologetics and my mm-hmm. priorities." That sort of thing. Uh, we're we're not consciously aware uh, that anything has taken the place that he should have in our our lives. We're still devoted mm-hmm. to Jesus. We still love Jesus. But our devotion and, and love for Jesus changes in an important way. Mm-hmm. It becomes more like the devotion we have to a political cause. 
mm. or to a political party than, than it is to our devotion for someone we love. So how do we spot this? It's such a subtle thing. It, it, what, I'm, what I'm hearing you say is it's like our love for Jesus is number one, our love for apologetics is number two, and then subtly somewhere in there it shifts, and Jesus is still very much up there, but apologetics just kind of pulls ahead a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's that subtle shift. How do we know that's happened, or what are some of the signs that we can see that that's happened? Well, I think time is one of those things. Uh, Martin Luther said, uh, tell me where you spend your time and your money, and I'll mm. tell you who your God is. Mm. Okay. Um, that, that would be an obvious way. Um, I think motivation is one of the ways that that plays out. Mm. Uh, why are you doing this? Are you doing it just to be better than anybody else at it? Mm-hmm. Or are you doing it because you're seeing something cool? Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody who's preached uh, very long and uh, has labored over the Word to prepare a message uh, will tell you that they're the ones who get the most out of the message that they preach because they see the most in the text. But but then it becomes this, it's so cool to see things in the text Mm -hmm. rather than, than... this is a good thing that, that has come into my life. Yeah. And so you enjoy the process or the experience of realization mm-hmm. more than, than what is being realized. Right. Does that make some yeah. sense? Almost you like the gardening more than the fruit in some right, sense. Right, yeah. You know, I have a friend, I, I, as you were saying that, I thought, I think I've found this, I've noticed this subtlety in different areas, not just apologetics, but in different areas in my own life. I have a certain friend who's who's a dear close friend of mine and I rarely ask for his advice but he often not often but enough he will give it to me and it's that kind of like he catches me and he's he's a close friend and he can do this right he catches me and everything inside of me wants to argue back and say no but you misunderstood and then I just reflect for a moment and I'm like head bowed yes yes you're right and so I I can, I can, I'm just reflecting here. I found for myself, having a few people that know me and watch me and will tell me without me asking right. has been a big help for me personally. Right. Well, I, I think that's going to be one of our stupid apologist tricks. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, I'm is, jumping ahead. It's right. the opposite <laughs> yeah. of that. Um, but um, yeah, absolutely. So um, basically, I'm here to warn you about joining the apologetics party. Right. Uh, <clears throat> but then the third trick is loving the academic disciplines you cultivate mm-hmm. to do apologetics more than you love yeah. Jesus. And and most or all of these I've done at one point or another in my life. Mm-hmm. So I, I know what I'm what I'm talking about. And I, I remember uh the first real philosophy class that I took. It was my last year in college, and and it was such a cool class. I, I I I would leave the room every day thinking, where has this stuff been all my life? Yeah. It was like brain candy. Mm-hmm. And and philosophy is a big part mm-hmm. of what you do in apologetics. Now, it's not the only thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think people tend to think 
that apologetics is just applied philosophy. But to do apologetics, you've got to have biblical studies, mm-hmm. you've got to know history, you've got to know theology, uh, you've got to be a good missionary, you've got to you know missionary skills, anthropological skills, all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's not the sole purview of mm-hmm. philosophers. But many times the people that do it best are philosophers, and some sorts of apologetics can't be done without Mm -hmm. philosophy. And philosophy can be really cool if you love philosophy. And and philosophy is sort of like black licorice. People either (laughs) love it or hate it. And and, and so loving the disciplines more than, than you love Jesus would be... Mm-hmm. One of the the issues, and, which, and, which I feel like is really easy for apologetics because it is so. Um, I don't I don't think heady is the right word, but it does lend itself so much to the study of the discipline. Right. It it is of the mind. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's looking at evidence. Mm-hmm. It's considering arguments. It's giving reasons. Mm-hmm. It's. It's talking and thinking about how do you know? This is how I know. This is why I believe. This is why you should believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it, it is very intellectual. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, you tend, to, you can be distracted by the love of the life of the mind mm-hmm. over the love of the Lord of your life. Yeah. And uh, so that's an that's a easy trap to fall into. And, and the fourth one is also easy, and it's very similar. It's loving the ministry more than you love Jesus. Mm. And it's, it's very possible to do. Now, now ministry can also be drudgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't, don't let anybody tell you differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, the real problem in ministry is the people you minister to. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all, you know, preaching is one of the great joys of my life. Uh, preparing a message to preach uh, is is very enjoyable, especially when you have one of those aha moments. Mm-hmm. Now you can have an aha moment any time that you read uh, the Word of God, and frequently you do. And if if you're not having them regularly, you're probably not reading mm-hmm. the Bible seriously enough or closely enough. But uh, that sort of thing, or uh, team building. Mm-hmm. Um, or leading that sort of you know there there is a lot of joy in ministry especially if you're called to ministry because you're where you, God wants you to be you're mm-hmm. doing what God wants you to do uh, but but it's possible to love the ministry more than you love the Lord mm-hmm. and and there's a word for this when it happens and that word is idolatry <laughs> and that is a really perverse sort of thing when you stop and think about it, but but our enemy is so clever, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> and so we we have uh, we have to fall into that. I'm I'm struck by uh, two passages in, in John uh, 21. Uh, one is uh, I'll talk about one later on mm-hmm. with another trick. Um, but uh, when Peter is restored by Jesus. After uh, Peter has declared to Jesus, all the others may forsake you, but I will never forsake you. I will die for you. 
and uh, and Jesus tells him, "You're going to deny me three times before the cock crows," and and he denies Jesus, and uh, but then Jesus restores him, and and it's over a breakfast, mm-hmm. and uh, after the resurrection, and and Jesus uh, asks him, "Do you love me?" and and Peter says, "Lord, you know I, I love you," and Jesus says, "Tend my lambs." And then he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And Peter is brokenhearted because Jesus has asked him three times. Now, there, there is a parallelism. Mm-hmm. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And there's also something that a lot of people think is significant going on in this passage in the Greek that's not significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, lots of commentators, well, not so much the commentators, because they're very knowledgeable about mm-hmm. Greek or tend to be, but lots of pastors ha- have, have pointed out that the first two times uh, the word for love that Jesus uses is comes from agape, mm-hmm. and the third time it's the word that comes from phileo. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's like, do you really love me? Do you really love me? Do you even like me? Mm-hmm. That is not what's going on. That, that is a pattern throughout the Gospel of John that he changes his words mm-hmm. and so forth. And even in the text, it doesn't say Peter was grieved because Jesus asked him the third time in a different way. Mm. It says Peter was grieved because Jesus asked him a third mm-hmm. time. And, but notice what Jesus doesn't ask Peter. He never asked him uh, what he knows about sheep. He never asked him if he likes sheep. Mm-hmm. He never asked him if he's good with sheep. Mm. Knowledge is is not a, a sufficient reason to do something, just knowing how to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, liking people is not a sufficient reason to do ministry um, because people like sheep can be unruly at times. And being good at something, skill for apologetics is not a good enough basis for being in apologetics. So um, the only sufficient basis for effective ministry is love for Jesus. Christ is Lord in your heart. I know I'm repeating this over and over in but, multiple ways. But I think I think that's the kind of thing that it takes a while to sink in. It takes a while for me to get that into, you know, under my own skin, in my own heart and mind because so often when I have a problem, when I'm insecure about something or whatever, I often go back to the things that I can control. And it's true, and I guess you could say in some sense that I control, that I do love Jesus. I make that decision, you know, that that sort of thing. But I mean, I don't, I mean, I shouldn't be focused so much on what I can produce, but I simply love Jesus and let him produce. And I am willing, you know, the willing servant and son to follow. Right. That's a difficult concept. It's difficult it to continually do that. And, and, and we don't learn without repetition. I agree. I completely agree. The things that that we know best, we know because we have repeatedly learned them. Yeah. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Right. It comes natural 
now. It right. didn't in kindergarten or first grade whenever you, right. you learned uh, in, in, your ABCs. You know, that's a great in- analogy because if you just pick out some random letter that's not in the, the beginning of one of those little um, QRST, you know, whatever, if you just pick out a random letter, I've heard people do this. I've done it myself. You kind of have to back up to, to the cadence of the, uh, of the little song in your head or the, the rhythm in your head because we've learned it in those little short patterns, those, mm-hmm. you know. And anyway, I just thought that was great. Uh, even, even in that, we know it by the form. Right. And, and, and the really important ways of getting us off track, Satan has uh, a number of different ways to run that play. Yeah. It's just like in, like in a football team that they may run a, a running play between the guard and the tackle on the right side, but there'll be 18 different running plays that they can run between the guard and the mm-hmm. tackle, that sort of thing. And so um, we have to be constantly on guard about uh, uh, these traps that mm-hmm. we fall into. Uh, and that's, that's what the tricks, stupid apologist tricks are, falling into the traps mm-hmm. that Satan sets for apologists. Mm-hmm. Uh, another trap or another trick is living a compartmentalized life. Mm. And this is, this is a problem for every believer, Sure, uh, which is why we said at the beginning, uh, you don't have to be an apologist to get right. a lot of good out of this conversation. <clears throat> But compartmentalism is when we say things like, I have my professional life, or in my family life, my private life, mm-hmm. uh, my, my hobbies, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And of course, all of us have our internal private thoughts. And, uh, but if, if Jesus is Lord of your life, then he's Lord of every area mm-hmm. of your life. And if he's not Lord of every area of your life, he's not Lord of your life, he's just Lord a part of your life, yeah. and uh, and we have this idea that um, that we can do with a little clutter in our life, and uh, that that we can we can get by that one area of our life doesn't uh, impact other important dimensions mm-hmm. of our life, mm-hmm. and there's a word for that. That word is stupid <laughs> uh, because. It's a lie from the pit of hell. There mm-hmm. are no spiritual firewalls keeping one dimension of our lives right. separate from the others. You know, you know what I have a trouble with this particular issue is I've been taught and believe that um, boundaries in general are a good thing. For instance, you don't want to let an unhealthy person or too much of one thing kind of take over the rest of your life. So, for instance, if you have no boundaries from your work and it's always affecting your family and on and on. You can come up with all these scenarios. And I think what's difficult about this issue is you you really have to be careful in navigating, say, what are healthy boundaries and then when do the boundaries become walls that separate you from the healthy, you know, counterpoint of a friend or whatever. Right. Well, I, I think that's exactly right. And, and later we're going to talk about... Um, about uh, each of these has an inverse trap mm-hmm. or an inverse uh, trick. But uh, I think Jesus, as Lord, would tell you, you, you have to have a balanced life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but balance and compartmentalization 
look frightfully alike. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and and so the trick is is in knowing um, where is where is the lack of balance where I where I border into burnout mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Uh, where I live a live a life of spiritual myopia mm-hmm. where I don't see other important things uh, and what is compartmentalization mm-hmm. um, well on our campus all of us uh, who were here uh, three four years ago are still in shock uh, about what happened with John Gibson mm-hmm. and uh, and and I've talked to, to John's widow uh, about this uh, numerous times she's given me permission to talk about this to mention his name she wants good to come out of it and and I know Joe knows who I'm speaking about but many of the people to hear this podcast won't right and uh, so John was a professor here at the seminary he he was a very good friend of mine he lived across the street from us and uh, and uh, a very effective uh, pastor uh, teacher and just a really nice guy, uh, but but John got caught up in pornography, mm-hmm. and this led to uh, other types of sins. and And John had an addictive personality, and uh, and eventually uh, his name came out when the Ashley, Ashley Madison, Madison yeah, yeah. Uh, list was mm-hmm. was uh, compromised yep. and publicized. And he lost his job here at the seminary, and then he went home that mm-hmm. afternoon and killed himself. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, he had this walled-off area that none of us knew about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he seems to have thought, I can do this one thing, and that my mind can fantasize and, and fixate on, on these sexual behaviors that are running before mm-hmm. my eyes and into my mind, through my eyes. And... It won't hurt me. Mm-hmm. Well, it killed him, mm-hmm. and so uh, th- that's something that that the Christian life is just counter to. Now, I'm not talking about the morality. I'm talking about the compartmentalization of right. it. Now, early Christians lived in in a world that was dualistically uh, du- that thought dualistically. Um, uh, the, Plato had said that the the body is the prison of the soul. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Gnosticism later on would come out of, out of this radical body-spirit dualism. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that's what Paul is addressing in Romans 12 when he says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual and the, and the Greek word there is the word we get logic from, mm-hmm. which is your reasonable service of worship. Mm. And I think that must have been a mind-blowing thing for Romans to read. To pull those two to, ideas to back say together. That what you do with your body mm-hmm. impacts your soul. Mm-hmm. And that, that doing something with your body can be spiritual. Because in, in, in the Greco-Roman world, uh, there were two ways that they thought about the body. One was the body is evil, let's punish it. Mm-hmm. And so those people would live ascetic lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the other way was, well, the body's just, just uh, 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 
vehicle. Mm-hmm. And it's, we're going to slough it off at some point. And that was the foolishness of the resurrection mm-hmm. to the Greeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, why would anybody want a resurrection? You get back in a body uh, rather than being delivered from the body like Socrates and Plato and other right. Greek thinkers had taught. <clears throat> and so, but then he follows it up. He doubles down. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but mm-hmm. be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So you're going to prove it in, in your body, mm-hmm. but you're going to direct your body with your mind. Right. And so the two two fit together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a holistic sort of, of relationship. There are two th- Two identifiable components, but but they work together. Right. I, I feel like what you're saying is he's making this synergistic case. He's making this – he's saying, you thought A was bad, so focus on B. I'm saying take B and double down on A so that you get C, which you can't get apart from the two together, right. which is better than the two. That's right. Yeah. And, and I think that's something that logically we can come to. We can find examples of it. And so we probably have to regularly remind ourselves and each other of such a thing. But it's not something we go to naturally. We naturally just go to, well, A is kind of uncomfortable right now, so I'm just going to focus on B. Yep. That's right. That's right. <clears throat> okay, another trick is comparing yourself to other people. And this is a really prevalent thing to do as an apologist. It's something that I am especially prone to. Well, it is why we invented the Internet. <laughs> I mean, really. <laughs> well, and, and the, the things that we enjoy drive us to compare ourselves sure. to other people. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was a col- high school and college tennis player. You are comparing yourself. You are competing against the person on the other side of the net. Mm-hmm. And it's obvious who plays better that day. That's how the game works. That's you have how, to. <laughs> how it works. Uh, in music, which I majored in music in college, um, there is an inordinate amount of pride mm-hmm. about uh, who can make the best sound come out of their body, that sort of thing. Or, or who can who can move their fingers uh, in the best, most pleasing ways over a piano keyboard or over uh, uh, the frets of a guitar or something like that? And there's this constant preening and comparing. Um, well, it's not just in those disciplines. All of us mm-hmm. are prone to this, and in apologetics as a discipline. Uh, you know, when I go to a conference and, and there are 20 people speaking and I'm one of them, I don't want to be uh, when when they. I don't want to be the last person on the after conference survey. Mm-hmm. Who, who did you enjoy least? Well, I, I, right. you know, I thought what Bob Stewart had to say wasn't that valuable. And right. there's a right way to want that. I want to be of value. But there's a wrong way as well. You love the acclaim. Uh, you, you like it when people mm-hmm. say, um, that was really good, that sort of thing. And so we, we do fall into this trap. And, and, and again, let's go back to John 21. Mm-hmm. Peter has been restored by Jesus. And then Jesus tells Peter 
that he will die for him now. What Peter promised to do before and wasn't able to do, he will do in the future. And, and so this, this is sort of good news, bad news. Mm-hmm. Peter, you do love me. I do trust you. I'm giving you responsibility, and you're going to die for yeah, me. Yeah, you're going to have to die. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're not going to have as right. long a career as, right. as some others. And, uh, and then, then, uh, and then uh, Peter, and then he tells him, but follow me. And it, then it says, turning around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Follow me. Turning around, Peter says, what about John? He doesn't say John. What, yeah, you know, what about what, that guy? The disciple. Yeah. Uh, that, and, uh, and Jesus says, what's that to you? Yeah. What's that to you? You follow me. And what we see is that it's not about comparing ourselves. Mm-hmm. In, in fact, there's a word for that, and the word is pagan. And uh, in a pagan world, they had all these different gods, mm. and they ranked their gods yeah. in a higher hierarchy of power and and uh, goodness and so forth. And so, there's a warning here. It is really possible to do apologetics for the sake of your ego, mm-hmm. and it's really possible not to speak up for your for the sake of your ego. Mm-hmm. You know, you should say something in a real-life encounter, but you think, well, this guy's smarter than I am. He would probably embarrass me. You know, you think about it even from like a, uh, a marketing or promotion perspective. You've built up a platform doing good work with these kinds of people, and if you're to do something based on conviction that goes against that, not necessarily even goes against it, but it is out of that, those people might give pause or those people might, you know, Fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. I think there's a very real um, struggle there because you, you want to do a good job. You've built up this reputation to do a good job. These are all good things. Right. And, and they are good things. Um, and there are people that do things very well. And, and a subtle form of this is, is not that you are folks, focused so much on you as being better than everybody else, that you focus on somebody else. You, you have a hero mm-hmm. who becomes an idol in your life. And, and so uh, I, I can promise you that if David Platt were, were speaking at, at a – small Baptist church like the one I pastored for 10 years, uh, and, and we publicized that, that we'd, we'd pack the place. Mm-hmm. If, if we had N.T. Wright coming mm-hmm. and we publicized it, everybody would come out. Mm-hmm. But we publicized, we're going to meet with Jesus Christ, <laughs> the maker of the universe, our creator and our redeemer. And, and you have 60 people mm-hmm. uh, turn out. There's only one star in Christianity. Mm-hmm. And it's not William Lane Craig. It's not N.T. Wright or David Platt. It's not Ravi Zacharias or Frank Turek. It's Jesus. Mm-hmm. And all of those guys would tell you that was right. the way it was. And so God doesn't want us to, to become superstars. He wants us to become servants. Absolutely. So 
So here we are. This is this is point number six. So I've got these in front of me. I'm just going to say these back for people listening. So number one, the first stupid apologist trick is to have the wrong foundation. So this is talking about uh, the place of Jesus in your life. Second one is loving apologetics more than Jesus, which begins to get into this more subtle theme that we keep talking about. A lot of these tricks are kind of subtle distinctions with big implications. Right. The third one is loving the academic discipline uh, more than you love Jesus. So really kind of getting into to the brain space and stuff more than the heart space. Uh, fourth is loving the ministry more than you love Jesus. This is similar in the sense that it's easy to go into a ministry kind of field because you're good at working with people. You're good at talking to people. You're good at thinking through things with people, but you might not necessarily love them as much as you should. The fifth one that you mentioned, um, a compartmentalized life. And we've talked about this kind of multiple times in our conversation just today, um, living separated. Not not an issue with boundaries, but living isolated. And then you've just mentioned um, comparing yourself to other people in an unhealthy way. It's, It's okay to take soundings. It's not okay to define my value based on other people and ranking and such. And so that brings us into our seventh point. And the seventh trick is neglecting worship and spiritual disciplines. Mm. Uh, Worship and spiritual disciplines are so important. Uh, They're both worship. Uh, We we meet privately with God and, and adore Him and give Him His due. And, uh, or do the best we can of giving him his due and, uh, and spend time in his word and we pray and meditate and that sort of thing. Then we meet publicly and do the same sort of thing. It's just that we do it a- as a group. Uh, but not being involved in church is, is so uh, serious. Now, being involved in church in the wrong way mm-hmm is also uh, serious. I mean, uh, church is not about you, mm-hmm. and it's not about the praise band, and, uh, and it's not about coming over and impressing people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and certain, this, is, this is something for, for seminary students. Uh, you have to, to strike the right uh, balance between taking what you learn in your training for ministry into ministry. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're being trained correctly in ministry, there should be things that you can take out of that training into your mm-hmm. ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then frequently I see uh, young pastors and young youth ministers and so forth uh, taking things over that it seems like what they're, what they're pointing out is, I know this and you don't, Yeah. Uh, rather than I've learned this and I want to share it with you. You know, a, a, a very regular theme of uh, Jamie Dew, our new president here at the seminary, is that, that concept of the towel and basin, yeah, the whole service thing. Last Supper, what does Jesus do? He washes the disciples' feet and they're like, what the heck, you know, this is just bizarre, right? Even at that moment, they're still struggling with these concepts. And I think it's because it's a very deep human struggle, right? We don't learn to project our authority. We learn so that we can better serve, right? 
and, I, and I, what I hear you saying is it's like the paradigm shift that we need to get under is the same thing he's also been, Jamie's also been kind of saying over and over and over since he's been here, is this concept of service is what sets us apart. Right. You know, service for the right thing, of course. But it's this, this idea of service. We're not here for ourselves. You know, just like right. that's the whole idea behind redemption. We right. couldn't do it on our own. And, and so uh, if we neglect these things, we do it at our peril. It, it's sort of like if, if you exercise regularly and you miss a day or two, you're not going to gain 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. But if you miss a, a month or six months, mm-hmm. you will rapidly fall mm-hmm. out of shape. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we ought to, uh, as, just as we seek to keep our bodies in shape, we ought to keep our souls in shape. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, so there you go. And, and, of course, we don't want to compartmentalize uh, right. that, that our bodies can be out of shape. Well, uh, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right. And uh, God's Spirit needs a home, but not the Superdome. Right. And um, <clears throat> so the, the eighth trick is isolation and uh, uh, being a lone ranger. Mm. Uh, we are made for community. Mm-hmm. Uh, God made us to need each other. He made the man for the woman. He made us for himself. And, uh, and he, he wants to, uh, Jesus said, he came to build a church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, one of the things that I see is that we need friends, real friends. And, and you mentioned it, um, and I think this is, is so important, that you need to have people in your life that will tell you the truth, mm-hmm. that, that love you enough and care about you enough and want you to succeed, mm-hmm. genuine success, that, that they will say, you know, that's not a good idea. Yeah. Or, or I see an attitude or I see a practice that, that I think you might want to be concerned about. Yeah. And, uh, and you and know, they don't have to fear that you're going to blackball them or yeah. uh, get even with them. Right. And, and I like that you brought this out as a separate point because earlier um, we had uh, number five, living as a compartmentalized life. And then number eight, we have isolation, which on the surface sound like the same thing. But I like that you brought them out in different points because on the one hand, you've, you've almost got like a tactic, which is to say, um, or, or let me reverse that around. Isolation, in some sense, you could say is a strategy. I'm going to be intentional and let people into my life. And then that previous point of not living a compartmentalized life is kind of the day-to-day tactics of making sure that they have access to you and things like that. Like, I think you can, you can say, well, I'm not keeping people out, but you've not put anybody in places to have access to you. You know what I mean? Like, I really like that you've broken that out because it's easy to do one and think it's done when these are two kind of like friends that work together. Right, right. And and many of these have inverse relationships. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so you you need some isolation. The the, the Bible tells sure. us that Jesus gets up early and he leaves his disciples. He goes off to be alone and spend time with the Lord. Uh, and so there is there is a proper sort of uh, 
self-time. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're always with other people, mm-hmm. uh, that's not healthy either. Mm-hmm. Uh, but So I'm not saying that we don't need personal time with God. I'm talking about too much personal time on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I, I'm talking about that that realization that you you have that you've spent an hour and a half on Facebook, mm-hmm. and uh, the shame that comes with it, <laughs> <laughs> and and being with people on Facebook is not the same as being with people. Right. Uh, there, there's a, a difference. But I would also say, don't spend all your time with believers. Mm. Uh, if if the only people you interact with are Christians, uh, who are you going to do your apologetics mm-hmm. with? Um, and and there, there's a real subtle danger, uh, just as in evangelism, uh, there there are platform evangelists who don't do any personal evangelism, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and there's also the danger of saying all my evangelism is going to be personal evangelism. Mm-hmm. When corporate evangelism has a long record of success, mm-hmm. it has it, we see it successfully done in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you need both and not mm-hmm. not either or. Now your closest friends do need to be believers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the friend that you let inside your life uh, because you do have to to guard, mm-hmm. but. You also need to reach out. Um, you need to be with people mm-hmm. um, who are, are not believers, who potentially could become believers, but be intentionally with them. How would a pastor, this is kind of off script, but how would a pastor um, or somebody like that who's essentially their vocation, mm-hmm. fill in the blank, whatever vocation, really kind of puts them in contact with believers more than anything else. Right. How do they be intentional about building these relationships outside? Yeah. Well, I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, one is that, uh, that you can join groups. Uh, for instance, my first pastorate was in a very small town in Texas. Mm-hmm. And um, I had never lived in a small town. Mm. Uh, my father was in the military. Um, you know, I, I lived in you know cities, mm-hmm. you know, like Stuttgart, Germany, mm-hmm. Nuremberg, Germany, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, so it was a bit of a culture shock. Mm. It, along the way, I realized the way to get to meet men is to join the volunteer fire department. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I couldn't... Is this like a universal principle or...? No, no, it's not okay. a universal principle. <laughs> yeah. but, but the way to do it in Maypearl, Texas... <laughs> okay, fair enough. ...was the, the men's fraternity in Maypearl, Texas, was the volunteer gotcha. fire department. Now, about half the people in the fire department were pyromaniacs. Okay. They just like to watch stuff burn. Sure. Uh, but but it was a great place to get for them to see me not as the pastor of First Baptist yeah. Church, yeah. but just as a father, a husband, um, just a guy. Mm-hmm. And who likes to watch things burn? Maybe uh, not you so don't much. have to comment. <laughs> but um, but um, it, it, it was a decision I made 
uh, not because I wanted to fight fires, uh, but because it was a way to build relationships yeah. outside of the church where I could take off the mantle. Uh, because when you're the pastor of the First Baptist Church in a town of 700 people, mm-hmm. you don't need uh, a black shirt and a white collar right. to identify you. Right. And so um, that would be one way to do it. But I also think in, in involving yourself in evangelism mm-hmm. is a good way to meet uh, people. Uh, I'll tell you a story. Um, we had a young man who's actually going to be a seminary student this fall, um, who um, was majoring in philosophy at UNO. And one of our students um, was sharing his faith with him. And uh, this young man, Arnold, who was the philosophy major, smart guy, and he was raising objections. And, uh, And so our seminary student said, well, you know, there is a pastor in town who is also a philosophy professor. <laughs> and so he shows up uh, at, the, at our church with, mm-hmm. with his girlfriend, and, uh, and they begin, they strike up a conversation uh, with me. And, and so we began to talk, and, and they, they kept coming back, uh, not, not consistently, off and on in patterns of you know four weeks at a time, mm-hmm. three weeks away, that sort of thing. And he had he had lots of questions. Uh, he had he had questions about uh, the reliability of the New Testament. You know, how, how do we know that we have the words mm-hmm. of of Jesus in, in the Gospels? And I said, well, that's interesting that you asked that question because I edited a book on it, and so I give him give him the book. And and so what about the resurrection? Well, I've edited a book on the <laughs> resurrection, and so I'm giving him. Uh, things to read that explain it, and we're having conversations about it. Uh, but there were also some 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 other issues. Um, they were living together. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they separated. Um, they they didn't quit dating, but they mm-hmm. moved out from different places, which which I found really odd. Uh, you know, this guy's not yet a believer, but he's wanting to live like a believer. And it's uh, a good sign. And he came from a Native American. Uh, tradition, and so uh, he had he had really been into um, eating um, mushrooms, okay, psychedelic right, right, mushrooms, right, right. and so he, he we had numerous conversations about uh, what does the Bible say <laughs> about shrooms? <laughs> well, the Bible doesn't say anything directly about eating well, mushrooms. Good. Case solved, <laughs> but. It does say something about not being drunk with wine, but be controlled sure. by the Holy Spirit. Anything that, uh, and and all these sorts of conversations. Uh, we talked about the problem of evil, and uh, over about a nine-month period of time, this guy becomes a disciple. Wow! And uh, and this this uh, last month, he went to uh, Utah. Mm-hmm. Uh, to evangelize Mormons, yeah. yeah, and so I think all of us have opportunities. Mm-hmm. We're just not sensitive to the opportunities, mm-hmm. but it is more difficult. Mm-hmm. I think you do have to be intentional, but also you have to be sensitive to the the opportunities that you do have. Yeah. So this is good. Okay. So number eight was 
isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, take us through nine and ten. All right. Well, nine is is really two. Mm. Uh, laziness and pride. We have a bonus tip. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, one of the things that, that I've noticed is that these two tend to run together. Mm. That interesting. Prideful people can be lazy, mm. and uh, and I'm not sure why, but I think it may have something to do with when you're focused on yourself, it's hard to work hard towards something for someone else. Sure. And uh, even if it's your Lord. I mean, that makes sense because the idea behind, the lie behind pride is that you are enough. You're good enough. Mm-hmm. You're the end. So right. what else is there to do? Right. You know, just exist. Yeah. <laughs> but bad apologetics is, is the enemy of good apologetics. Now, apologetics is a good thing to do. But superficial apologetics mm. it can be a very uh, bad thing. Mm-hmm. And, and we have a tendency, if we hear it repeated often enough, just to accept it as a truism. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if so many people believe it, and especially if you can package it in a pithy saying, mm-hmm. then um, uh, – but I, I don't think that shallow apologetics works. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think that – um, we can learn 50 prepacked answers and have everything we need. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I also think this that that most of the apologetic problems are, there aren't too many of them when you when you look at them. But they're they're like football plays. They they come at us in multiple sure. multiple ways, and and so it's not a one size fits all sort of. Sort of thing you you have and individuals have their different objections and they state their objections in mm-hmm. a different way, and you have to be able to understand the person as well as as the issue. You know, Gary ha- <clears throat> Gary Habermas was on the podcast, um, and he's been a defend. And one thing he talks about a lot of times is the apologetics around uh, emotional doubt. Things like this, where right. it's not an intellectual problem, but it's 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 not even. It looks like an intellectual problem, and but it's, it's phrased not. like one, right? But the real problem underneath there is I have this pain, mm-hmm. and that's what I need to, you know, right? And uh, and I think I think that is the case, but lazy apologetics won't ever get to yeah. it. Right? Uh, I, I'll tell you a story. Pat answers. <clears throat> The third, <clears throat> the third Greer heard forum mm-hmm. was on the future of atheism, and we had Daniel Dennett, one of the world's most famous atheists. And Greer heard, for people <clears throat> listening who don't know, was a point counterpoint event we did, right. which was similar to defend, but it was not a class type thing. It was right. more of a listen to speakers, right? And, okay. And so we had a we had a Friday night uh, dialogue or debate between Alistair McGrath. Mm. An Oxford University professor, brilliant man, yeah. who um, is a former atheist, mm. and Daniel Dennett, who is a present atheist, on the future of atheism. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then the next day, we had two atheists give papers to which the two, uh, Alistair and Dan, responded. Mm. And we had two Christians give papers to which Alistair and Dan responded. 
And, uh, and then that evening, <clears throat> we went out to dinner. Now, we went out to a very nice New Orleans restaurant. And uh, Dan was, was uh, very impressed with Southern Baptist. I, I think he just had a total caricature of who we were, that sort of thing. I, and uh, I, I don't know exactly what, I, what he expected, but I think it was something like he would drive onto the campus and be met by 200 rednecks with 300 guns. Right. (laughs) And Dr. Kelly uh, got up before the dialogue and said, we believe in soul freedom. We don't don't, uh, believe in – we believe in persuasion, not coercion. Mm. And uh, we believe in conversations, that sort of thing. And and that just really resonated with Dan. So over dinner, he's – thanking me for being such a great host and so open-minded and so forth. And then I said to him, well, Dan, I really am an evangelical Christian, and I really would like to see everyone give their life to Jesus, Mm -hmm. even you. Mm -hmm. And at which point he launches into this soliloquy about how he is a Darwinist first and an atheist second. That okay. he is a an atheist because he thinks Darwin's philosophy and theory uh-huh. lead to atheism. Now I disagree with that. Uh-huh. I'm not a Darwinist, but if I were, I I would sure. still concede that it doesn't lead to atheism. But <clears throat> he um, he he said, but I don't you know I don't care about the facts of Darwin's life. I'm not into the quest for the historical Darwin. I just want people to read his book, Origin of Species, Descent of Man, that sort of thing, and, and see the genius of his ideas. Why can't you Christians be that way with Jesus? And I said, well, Dan, that's because it was Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Mm. And it was like he'd never considered that. Yeah. And it was like I'd hit him between the eyes with a two-by-four, yeah. and he was just stunned and, and speechless. And, and that is an unusual <laughs> thing for Daniel Dennett. He is one of the most uh, interesting people I've ever He's met and, and can talk on subject after subject at length without, without notes. And, uh, and it was like I'd, I had a moment. Lord. And then another Christian at the table spoke up and said, and besides that, Christianity's not a religion, it's a relationship. Hmm. That is something I've heard so often, and it's not true. Hmm. It's a different kind of religion. Hmm. It's a unique kind of religion. But anybody who knows anything about anthropology mm-hmm. would, would know uh, that, that religions have uh, sacred, sacred books. Mm-hmm. Well, do we have a sacred book? Mm-hmm. Of course we do. Religions have holy days. Do we have holy days? Of course we do. Mm-hmm. Do, do uh, religions have uh, uh, initiation rites? Do we have initiation rites? Of course mm-hmm. we do. Uh, religions give you an ethical code. Do, 
Does Christianity give you an ethical code? Of course it does. Hmm. Um, We've got all these trappings of religions. And I understand what they're getting at. It's not that it's entirely wrong to stress the relational aspect of Christianity. It's it's that it's carelessly stated. Mm And and that's an example of lazy apologetics Mm -hmm. rather than thoughtful apologetics. And at that point, then I could see the shades come down over the eyes and the moment was lost. Does it make some sense? Yeah, it does. It does because it's it's kind of like the idea uh, – I'm a writer, and it's kind of like the idea of using cliches. The reason why it's so bad to use cliches is because we've heard them so often they don't mean anything anymore. They could have been true, like raining cats and dogs, for instance. That could have a great history to it, and it could me- have all this nuance to it. But it doesn't mean anything. We hear that, and our minds just immediately gloss over. But if you could say it was raining so hard that I thought the window might actually break from the drops – all of a sudden, now you have a picture and your mind is engaged in the story. And I feel like it's kind of the same thing. When we say that, what we mean is that it's not the flatness of many religions. It's so deep that it's like a relationship because we do have a relationship in there. Mm-hmm. But to just flatly put it, I feel like, like you're saying, misses really the depth of it. Yep, yep. And so, um, <clears throat> so laziness... Pride are, are two uh, really uh, serious procedural tricks as well as personal mm-hmm. uh, tricks. And then finally, the one we talked about briefly yesterday is we tend to measure mm-hmm. success the wrong way. And uh, faithfulness is the measure by which we should all measure our ministries. Mm-hmm. And uh, not who gives the best talks. Mm-hmm. Uh, not who writes the most books, not who becomes famous, not who can do apologetics full-time. That's mm-hmm. all they do. They've got staff that book them and, and handle – People give uh, money to them. Right. <laughs> they, they have uh, a daily podcast, right. their videos, uh, you know, huge email list. And, and th- those things are all good. Sure. Uh, I, I'm not – Saying with right, that, right. Uh, more widely spreading your ministry isn't a good thing, but that's not success. It's right. not even how many converts you make that determines success. Uh, when I was uh, in my last year of my Master of Divinity degree at Southwestern Seminary, I had a class with Daniel Kent. And uh, Dan Kent was, uh, he's since passed away, mm. uh, was a professor of Old Testament. And he gave us a, uh, an assignment one day. He said, uh, next time we meet, I want you to complete this sentence. At the end of my ministry, I will know if I've been a success by. Mm. And so he said, I'm serious. I want every one of you to bring it, write it out, turn it in. At the end of my ministry, I will know if I've been a success. Bye. So we come back the next time, and uh, students are saying, by how many people I led to Jesus, by how many churches I planted, by how many converts I made, by how how many young people went into ministry under 
my ministry? Did mm-hmm. I multiply mm-hmm. my ministry? That sort of thing. <clears throat> and um, What did you say? I said, by the degree to which I've been faithful to my calling. Mm. And then Dan Kent, this was when we got to the book of Jeremiah, said, how many converts did Jeremiah make? Mm. He said, maybe one. His scribe Baruch, and there's reason to doubt that. So are you telling me that the prophet Jeremiah was a failure? And you know, the room was was silent. And awkward. So so the real measure is did you do the best with what God placed in your hands and the opportunities that you had? I think that's a very liberating idea as well because my mind, at least, wants to go to many of those other answers because I want to do as, as good as I can. You know, not to defend it, just to explain it. I want to do as best as I can. So let's set the bar high. Maybe we won't make it, but we'll, etc. But that is kind of a spiritual rat race in a lot of ways because you can never make it. And as soon as you get close to it, it's addictive and you want to continue to raise that bar. At least that's how that is for me. But when you think about it, it's like, all I really have to do is be faithful to God's spirit inside of me. Listen and obey. Right. It's like, man, I can do that every right. single day. Well, I'll give you an example of, of measuring it the wrong way. <clears throat> and I use this example frequently. If I used it yesterday, I, I don't even remember <laughs> Um, but um, several years ago, James Walker and I were teaching a workshop here in cult theology, separate uh-huh. from Defend. I took this uh, workshop one time. Okay. It might have been this one. Might have been. Yeah. And James, for, for the listeners that don't know, is the president of Watchman Fellowship. Uh, he's a former fourth-generation Mormon or Latter-day Saint, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, he was a good, faithful Mormon, a temple Mormon, a priesthood holder. He was killing it. And uh, and so, um, but he's now an evangelical Christian. And uh, he was sharing with us uh, methods that are effective in, in reaching Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and others. And, uh, and so somebody asked him the question, so what percentage of the time are you successful when you share the gospel the biblical gospel with a Mormon. And James said, I'm successful 100% of the time. Yeah. And it was like a gasp went out in the room because the room in general was measuring yeah. the wrong way. Yeah. They took that to mean every Mormon I've ever talked to has become a Christian rather than what James explained that it meant. He said, when I speak... I'm faithful, and when I'm faithful, I'm successful. When I'm unsuccessful is when I don't share and I'm led to. When when I have the opportunity, I realize the opportunity, and I don't. And and he said, so I'm successful 100% of the time. It's it's God the Holy Spirit's job to use his living word to change their hearts but my job is to present the word. I don't remember if we talked about this yesterday when we recorded last. 
if it was in the recording or not, or if this was another time, but I remember you saying something, and, and I've been thinking about this, and it, it really kind of t- touches into what you just said. And it's the idea that a lot of times we don't, and maybe it's this generation or, or, or this world that we live in right now, we don't really take the power of the Spirit seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think the more we take it seriously, the more we can easily, truthfully adopt what James is saying is like, if I simply say it, it's not my job to save. It's the Spirit's job to save, right? So whenever that happens in the process is up to God. My job is just to talk. Right. Well, I, I think that apologetics needs the Holy Spirit and is the, I don't want to say the right places as if they're wrong places, for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. But it's a place that the Spirit is especially active. Uh, Paul tells us that the weapons of our warfare are mighty for the tearing down of strongholds. Mm. And then he, ta- and then he connects it to taking captive every thought. Mm-hmm. Spiritual warfare is, is not about demons in closets. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's not about... Uh, spooky goblins. It, it, it's not about histrionics, that sort of thing. It's about ideas. Mm-hmm. Ideas run the world. I completely agree. And so uh, the Holy Spirit's work and the life of the mind go hand in glove. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so uh, if, if an apologist is not aware of the Spirit's power, uh, that's, uh, that's a bad thing. Yeah, and uh, but uh, we measure success so wrongly, mm-hmm. uh, and and we can we can confuse success in another way. It's not simply numbers. We can be confused by performance, mm-hmm. by eloquence, by intelligence, by by the tightness of a logical argument, um, by um, any of these things, mm-hmm. and and. Apologetics tends, because it's so ideal, idea-based, mm-hmm. to attract intelligent people, mm-hmm. and and very intelligent people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can I can promise you that uh, when we have the Defend Apologetics Conference in January, that uh, it's going to be. Uh, the one time a year that we've got the highest collective IQ <laughs> in the room mm-hmm. uh, because it attracts that, that sort of person. But one problem with that is that gifted people can do better without trying than the average person mm-hmm. can. And, and so uh, you have people who can perform twice as well giving half as much. Mm-hmm. But if you don't give everything that, you, yeah. that you've been that God has placed in your hand, uh, if you don't make the most of your gift, then then the Lord is is going to be disappointed. And that goes back to a previous um, point you made earlier, and it's kind of a passive version of it, but it's measuring against other people. You might not be measuring success against other people, but you're measuring a minimum standard against other people. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have to try to still meet that minimum standard of acceptability, then you might be able to, and this goes back to the previous point now, was you might be able to get by on a kind of a laziness. Right. And that's just not what God wants from us. Right. Um, um, 
I know a young man as a child, uh, brilliant, brilliant mm. young man, that um, he grew up here in New Orleans, was in a carpool to private school, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and he would do his homework in the in the van on the way to the school. And uh, one of the uh, one of the other children said to him, "Do you ever do your homework not in the van?" No. <laughs> well, how can you do it? I just can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, why why do you do it that way? Because I'm smarter than other people. Mm. And and it was true, all of it. Yeah. But. It wasn't honorable, yeah. And and uh, there just are people who can do better, sure, um, because they they work that way. But they're not faithful, and if you're not faithful, you're not mm-hmm. successful. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a great uh, final point. The theme that falls through all ten of these points is this idea of faithfulness. Like we we really are here uh, for God and to glorify God. And everything we do in between is about that. Mm. And I think this, as I hear you say these these 10 things and kind of walk through these, this is the theme that I hear over and over and over, that we are here for God. Right. And I think, I, I, I'm putting words in your mouth now, but I think I would say that we're good apologists when we remember that. That's what I hear you saying. Right. And And so I think... Uh, I'd love to come back and talk about some procedural traps that, mm-hmm. that we fall into and, and some right procedures to adopt. Um, but uh, it, I think the personal ones, you have to get those right. Before yeah. it, it, you, can, you can know all the procedures. You yeah. can have all the skills yeah. and, and still be a failure. I mean, that's great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast again and sharing this with us and taking us through this. All right. Hey. It's Gary and Joe here again. Would you do us a favor? If you like this podcast, go to iTunes and leave us a review. This would mean the world to us. Thanks.